Women Bridging the Gap is a freewheeling conversation co-hosted by Lenya Wilson and myself, Alexandra Detalia. Listen to our conversations while we discuss race and womanhood at the hearth level. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Lenya. Hi, Alex. How you doing? Are we smudging? We are smudging right now. So this episode is, we did a live episode that was a shit show, but it was actually fun in its own. The feedback was crazy. Unbelievable. We had like a hundred comments. Yeah, a hundred comments, about 10 people. But the thing is, Lenya assured me it would be fun. I was very nervous and then I couldn't even get on. And then there was weird feedback and... But it was still fun. We we had a good time. And I'm a little less nervous to do it again, which we'll do it. We'll do it again. Yes, uh, but we'll be more prepared this time that we know that Facebook sucks. <laughs> Stop saying Facebook sucks. They'll come after us. But no, we're gonna we're gonna do it again. It'll be great. But today we're gonna talk about the issues that we were having fun with on the live episode where we were going to read tarot cards and taste wine and that's what we did but we also wanted to really talk about how race actually intersects Mm -hmm. even things that you don't think about like so even if you're having a glass of wine at night actually race intersects wine so we're not drinking wine everybody we're i'm drinking coffee and water i'm Uh, just having water (laughs) i might have a coffee Yeah, we'll see how that goes. We're going to talk about wine. And so I don't know if everybody knows, but Lenya, when did you become a Psalm? Two years ago. I only went, I didn't, I'm still, it's a, I'm a Psalm, but I'm not a master sommelier. So just, I want to put that out there. I got to level three. Like explain, but you can totally have a career as a level three sommelier, right? You can have a career as a level one. Yeah. So a level one is like a very beginner's. Oh, so there's several different ways as well. Oh, your sage is gorgeous, by the way. There's several uh, different companies that offer these kinds of classes. I went to the Wine Spirit Education Trust, which is the W set. That's the route I went. And But there's Court Masters of Somalias. There's, uh, I think Wine Folly has a certification, like a bunch of different companies have certifications. And I can't say that one's better than the other. I do know that there's the one that I did, the W set. The focus is more on the science of wine and drinking wine. And Court Masters of Sommelier, the focus is more on service. Okay. So I like my sort of opinion on it is if I ever wanted to go on and become a master sommelier and work as a wine director at a big restaurant, I would have wanted to go that other route. But my love of wine, I think is more, I think more science-based, more based around farming practices and soil and the earth than serving it to people. So that's why I went the W set route and I got as far as level three, but level three was really difficult. That and a bunch of other reasons. I didn't want to spend any more money to go further when it's so hard as a woman and then as a black woman in that industry. When you think about wine, you know, you think of France, you think of Italy, and then you think of California and now it's wine is like the trendiest thing, but it's a white European game. Really. And so, and even in South Africa, 
it was the Afrikaans yep. game. So were you the only black person in your SOM class? I believe I was the only black person in level one, but I wasn't the only person of color. Mm. I believe there's some Latin people. I can't remember. It was a while ago, but I know for a fact in level three, I was the only one. Level three was quite full too, which was interesting because there was a bunch of people taking it over, which happens often, right? If right. you have, if you watch that movie Uncorked, have you seen it yet? Yeah, yeah. It it's very difficult. So a lot of people take the class over and over again until they went. And you can actually pass one section, the tasting, and not pass the questions, which happened to me because the questions required like essays and I just couldn't get the language. I just couldn't figure out how I'm going to write an 125 word essay on the differences of Chardonnay grown in three different regions and why these three different regions have different flavor profiles. Like I just couldn't come up with enough language around it. And I'm sure if I wanted to, I could have like taken it again and done it, but I just, you know, because I knew that I wasn't going to go far, I just didn't want to spend the you know money because it's expensive. That's the other thing. So it's like my expensive hobby. When you were in those classes, I'm curious, did you feel any cultural bias? Like, or did you feel, were there microaggressions? Did you feel that you were welcomed? Yes. Yeah. The woman who, run, who runs the education program at the Wine House here in Los Angeles, she is Latina, Latina woman from Spain who is amazing, very inclusive. It was a very welcoming environment. I, I was glad to have a female teacher as well because right. women are super tasters. And so I knew I was getting the best. Wait a minute, wait a minute slow down. We're super, t- are women super, t- generally? Women are super tasters generally, yes. Okay, wait, slow down. Explain that to me. I'm so happy to know that I'm a super taster. <laughs> we just, um, def- different sensory overload in our mouths. We can just feel the difference more. And then there's things. a sign there because of our DNA or because Yeah, of- I think it's because of our DNA. I, you know, I have to go back and ask her about it, but we did discuss them being super tasters, yeah. I have a... I'm really stuffed up right now because of the the smoke, but generally like I have a very acute sense of smell. So I was like, it, it should make me it's a good taster. taster. Yeah. Now see, I don't have an acute sense of smell, which was part of the problem is something I had to develop for class. Uh, and so I had to get the smell kit and. Oh, I remember you, know. you getting the smell kit. So everybody like she would get a, a a set where everything like there would be like little tiny vials and it would smell like chocolate. It would smell yeah. like blueberries. It would smell like lemons. I wanted a kit just to be. <laughs> yeah. Smelling every single one, like every day. And then like, like doing blind tasting, like testings, you know, smell this. What is it? Oh, that's smoke. Smell this. What is that? Oh, that's cedar. And then there's the things like people think, oh, it's wine is fruit. Like I remember once I, I did an Instagram live with this amazing woman. And when we first started doing these Instagram lives around wine, she would go, oh, I smell grapes. I'm like, you don't smell grapes. <laughs> you smell more than grapes. You've got to think beyond the fruit and beyond the sweet because wine doesn't necessarily smell just like fruit. Like there's certain Chardonnays from certain places in the world that smell like cat piss. Doesn't mean that they taste like cat piss because they don't always smell like what they taste. And, the, and apparently the smell of cat piss is a really good thing. 
I could, you know. Well, the funny thing is that I do remember having Eric for a long time was very much, he's still very into wine, but it was like where he was really into wine, where he got the magazines and he mm-hmm. would save up his money and go buy special wines. And we were in France and we bought a, a very nice Bordeaux. Mm. And I remember it tasting like roots and tobacco. Yes, tobacco. Uh, so it tasted like a like um um a 1940s men's club, you know, where it's like mm-hmm. leather couches, lots of tobacco, pipe smoke. And I was like, this is what this wine tastes like. And it was amazing. I mean, it was yep. one of the best wines I've ever tasted in my life. And yet when you say leather and tobacco, ew, I don't want to taste that. I was like, oh, but yes, you do. In yes, a red you wine, do. you do. So what's interesting to me in thinking about this, and it's funny, I just read this morning in the New York Times, an interview uh, with Chris Rock. And he was talking about whatever new projects he's on, but he was really talking about racism and how upset he is, even about how Barack Obama, the election of Barack Obama did more for white people than for black people, because the way, and he said it was akin to Jackie Robinson in the sense that it gave white people language like, well, the black community is making progress. And he's really saying black people don't need to make progress. White people actually need to get out of the way mm-hmm. and change their mental status to just really realize and really get to the point that everyone's equal. And that ties into that editorial that I sent, that op-ed piece that I sent you from yes. the USA Today from that law professor where she just was talking about how she normalized racism in her everyday life. And the one line that really stuck out to me is that this poor black law professor is the person who gets picked to be on every diversity committee, every Mm -hmm. inclusion committee, every implicit bias talk that the campus has all to help, you know, the progress for black people. And that's, all racist. And so what's funny, and that I have to admit, even in one of my questions, I feel like there was a microaggression in one of my questions today. So I just want to own up because one of my questions for you was like about making strides forward in the wine industry. And so Mm. I really crafted it as progress and didn't craft it as white people getting out of the way so people can just do what people want to do. And that was a, you know, it was like, oh, that's a light bulb. It's very small difference in language. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even notice. Yeah. Well, because part of it is like, right. What makes this complicated and nuanced is that systemic racism has prevented people of color and black people from moving forward. And then if you think about class, but you think then you're just talking about class, then you can talk about progress. It it is complex because Mm -hmm. I'm not sure, would there have been interest in wine? There wasn't even general interest in wine drinking 50 years ago, like across this nation. It wasn't the market that it was. Beer was the market. It wasn't or spirits were the market, but it wasn't wine. And so the idea is that it's hard to measure 
Like, were, were, was the wine industry here in the States keeping Black people out, or was there just not interest? And it was... Well, I had this conversation with um, Yolande when I was doing the Instagram Live Wine Talks, and part of the issue, I think America as a whole, but Black people as well, wine is seen as one of these things that you do when you're being bad, right? You're drinking alcohol is seen as something that's bad because in excess, in excess, it can, it can, you know, make you drunk and, and make you do bad things. Right. right. So, oh, so it would, so I think part of like Christianity, even though wine is part of Christianity, yeah. part of being a Christian, you know, they're always talking about how you don't drink alcohol. And so I think that, put the brakes on it for people in general, but for black people, especially, you know? And so I do remember when I was talking to her, we were talking about our parents and how they didn't drink wine and how, you know, wine is like a a Gen Xer, black Gen Xer thing. Oh, interesting. So the movement towards, towards getting more black people and people of color into wine is something that's happening in our generation more so. And I I do think part of the problem with wineries in general and black people owning wineries has to do with generational wealth. It is a very expensive undertaking, very expensive because, you know, you have to buy the land. You have to then train the grapes. You're not going to get a good harvest right away. It's going to take time and it's going to take money to keep paying those people while you're not making money to make the wine. And every year it's going to be like that. You know what I mean? So this is something that if you don't have generational wealth or just wealth in general, it's it's not something that's going to be easy. It's fantastic that Abbey Creek Winery has started in Oregon. So, you know, at least they're, we're going to have some really good Pinot Noir. There's a few wineries in Napa, the Curry's, Stephen Curry and his wife have a winery. And then there are a lot of uh, African-Americans that are partnering with existing white-owned wine companies. But so can I ask, though, that's all very much like capitalistic, top-down, like celebrities really buying stuff when, you know, you're in Italy and you'll see that there was just some, you know, some random person, not wealthy at first, at least, you know, put it like just growing grapes on their land and then it gets bigger and there's real interest in the wine itself, in the earth, in those things. And it's not just a capitalistic, like, I'm going to do this. Um, Because wine is part of their culture from the very beginning. Like they're drinking wine, like in Europe, they're drinking wine from younger age. They appreciate it. It's not alcohol in quotations. Right. Do you you think part of the issue here that has been a barrier to entry for Black Americans is that wine started being grown here in Washington, Oregon, and Northern California, and in Southern California, which were white states, Mm -hmm. you know, and we're really seeing that now as with the Black Lives Matter protests and really understanding about these were white homesteader places. I'd be curious if we were like thinking about people of color, like you do know, like there's the the San Antonio winery here in Los Angeles. And so there have been actually like Latino, Latina 
wineries like here in Southern California, because there was maybe a culture of growing wine from the land. And then there are in Mexico, in Northern Mexico, there are wineries. And Um, they make some very interesting wine. Yes, there are. But that, but they're also considered new world. Like we're still talking new world wines, you you know? Yeah. Well, so what's interesting to me is when I was in South Africa, I really had a hard time. I loved South Africa. It's a very interesting country. I feel like every American should go visit, partly because you can see how racism has played out in a different way. Mm-hmm. Because they've how they've handled the post-apartheid era, they've handled it differently. And it's still not really good, but mm-hmm. it's interesting to go see. But what frustrated me was how people didn't talk about it. Like, so you're in Cape Town and you go to the wineries like outside Cape Town and there's the famous one like Stellenbosch. And I'm sitting there and I'm having really good wine, but the, it's hard. Everybody was white. And mm-hmm. it's hard to sit there and be like, well, but wait, you know, you're saying you've been here for 60 years or however long that winery had been there. And I'm like, well, that's right through apartheid. So how has this changed? And in preparation for for the podcast, I actually just Googled like South Africa wines and race. And what's interesting is that in the last two years, there has been a movement where Black South Africans have really said enough already, like we want some of the land back. And so there is actually becoming a bit of comeuppance that, again, it really goes towards wealth, right? It goes towards the inherited wealth or how land was allotted during the overt racist part of the history and then even though now we say, oh, no, everybody's equal. Well, that's just not that's just not true. And it makes it awkward in the sense of when you think about where you want to spend your capitalist dollars, I've really thought about, well, I don't know if I'm going to be buying South African wines right now until th- that gets settled. It's going to be interesting to see, like, fast forward 50 years in France, when you think about all the migrants that are in France right now, how that's going to change. When people I know, but wine it. in general is changing just because of new world, old world wine and climate change has made a huge impact in the wine industry. Funnily enough, it's actually been a good impact. It means that they're growing sparkling wine in England and they're growing really interesting Pinot Noirs in Germany. These are things that never happened before. So climate change has affected the wine industry. And and it will be interesting to see because now there can be new wine regions and people who weren't necessarily in the industry could get in, get a foot in, because now they can buy a plot of land in a place where you can grow wine. Like you can't grow wine everywhere. Certain grapes are very temperamental and need everything from sun to fog to, you know, so. Yeah. And it's also interesting to see like how the taste of wine is going to change. I would just imagine that wines grown down here that are down in Southern California in the Santa Barbara area, it's getting so hot. It topped, you know, a hundred degrees in the last couple of weeks here in Los Angeles. I don't know what was inland in like the Santa Ynez Valley, but I had plants burn from the top down 
like in my front yard where it's just the tops of plants burned. And so then how's that going to affect wine? I think it'll affect the growing season. I mean, you also have to know that like when you have a winery and you're growing your grapes, these are things that you plan for, you know, so they'd have like shades over the grapes or, you know, this farming practices that they can put in place for extreme heat, but it will affect the growing season. The grapes will probably ripen sooner. You'd have to have a quicker turnaround. It is going to, like I said, because it's getting warmer, you can grow the grapes in lots of different places. Talking about discrimination in the wine industry, I mean, do you feel that there are barriers, like as being a Black person who wants to enter into the wine industry, do you feel like there would be discrimination? Oh, for sure. Because the restaurant owners and the um, owners of the big chains are still all white men. Right now, because I do think that everybody is capitalizing on Black Lives Matter, that it's very quickly become you know, every store is putting on a sign like Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. And is that really because... But that's all like... Right, or is that marketing? I I think that's just like, you know, that's like performative, you know. I don't necessarily believe that's the case. I will say that I was extremely happy to see Wine Enthusiast magazine have a Black woman on the cover. And then inside the magazine have a whole bunch of stories around Black sommeliers and Black wineries. So, you know, that's not performative. That's actually giving space. But well, it's um, a little performative. Don't you think it's a tad bit performative because it's coming out like right now in the midst of all this and saying, yeah, we're on board by us. And then all the white liberal elites are buying it, too, saying this is great. But we got to start somewhere. I'll tell you the reason why this is not performative and putting a sign in your window is. Okay. so. There is an Instagram page called, I think it's called the 15%. And they're going to different stores and they're asking them to make a pledge to stock 15% of the items in their stores that are Black-owned companies, okay? So Vogue has uh, signed the 15% pledge that they would have 15% of their advertisers are Black. I think Sephora, I'd have to go and look, but like there's a bunch of these companies that have pledged that they are going to have 15% of their advertisers. That is not performative. Right. That's true. If you put a sign in your store that's, you know, I'm Black Lives Matter and still only have 0.2% of the items in your store by Black owned companies, that's performative. Now, with the Wine Enthusiast magazine, because so many regular people read this magazine, they Wait, are- what do you mean by regular? Non-wine crazies like me. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Like, Wine Enthusiast is a very commercial, I feel like a very commercial magazine, very commercial wine magazine. Obviously, you have to like wine uh, if you want to buy the magazine, but you're not going to be like me where I, like, you know, am looking up- you know, every single wine and that are in the different lists, they are actually putting out all of these different people and resources for the regular person to look up and find information about, right? So someone who doesn't even know that there are black wineries and some, you know, some random white woman from Texas who likes rosés, all of a sudden is going to see that there's this fantastic rosé by the McBride sisters. Wow. Right. And they're going to want to try it. No, it's true. That's true. 
You know, there is a rosé by Mary J. Blige. She's also an actress now, right? She's in the Umbrella Academy, which I was like unbelievably impressed with by her performance. So I was like, wow, she's also this actress. Wow, she can do everything. But anyway, she now has her own rosé by Sun Goddess. I just want to get it when I want to get it. Oh, I know. Well, I always say I want subscriptions and then I never do it because then it just becomes another thing on my should list. And then all the joy is sucked right out of them. So I, I completely get that. I have had, like, there's been times in my life as a, you know, as a stylist that I have all these different magazines and we have moved magazines from country to country, house to house. It's just too much. So from the, I think the last time we moved from Australia to uh, America, I got rid of a bunch. Then I got rid of more when we moved from Virginia Avenue to Ethel and then I got rid of more. I am down to like the bare minimum of ones that are really special when we moved here because I just, it's just one of those things. It's just so you, it's paper. Are you ever going really back to the magazine? Yeah. Well, I sometimes love like magazines because if I'm collaging, sometimes I'll pull something from it. Like I do find, and I love, I'm very tactile. So I, and I'm trying right now to get off screens. Like, like, so I, I really am trying to be what I'd call analog in every area of my life that I can be, because during the pandemic, my whole life is really on a screen and it's too much. And so I'm trying to read real books, real magazines. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to have a more tactile life in that sense. But see, um, then that's better because then you're going to buy the magazine that you really want instead of having a subscription and getting like some ep- well, issues where you don't care. Well, my favorite thing to do is go to an old fashioned newsstand, you know, yes. so it's like what I miss about New York or San Francisco, although there's a really good one on Fairfax. And then there's one in Los Feliz, which is a pretty big newsstand where you can mm-hmm. look and there are literary journals and creative journals and magazines you can say, oh, I didn't even know there's this home styling magazine or there's this interesting yep. fashion magazine or there's all sorts of interesting cooking magazines that I enjoy, even though I don't do any cooking, but I do enjoy <laughs> looking at food. But here's the thing, even with magazines, how like much of that is really feels very marketed to white people. It, it does. like It does. For sure. Like, it um, does. But listen- I, I have a real issue with a bunch of magazines recently putting Brianna Taylor on the cover, talking to her mom, you know, but are they really doing anything other than bringing up more pain? Well, that's the same complication that you have. I think that everybody has with social media. And I think, I don't know if I, I told you this, but it was the horrible stuff that had in Kenosha in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And a black person had said, I'm noticing that white people aren't posting. Is this silence? And I actually wrote in the comments, I was like, well, I haven't posted about this because I'm very cognizant that every time I bring something up, I might be triggering somebody. And so it's complicated. I want to share my outrage but I also want to be mindful and that I'm one, not performative, you know, let me just repost. Mm -hmm. And also that I don't want to trigger. And there's a nuance there that I need to weigh. Like I want to show my support and I don't want to do it. So I don't know. Like, so even like, that's my own personal dilemma with social media. I imagine 
in the media, there are editors making decisions saying, this is the news. We want to cover this. We want to keep this in the forefront so change happens. But how much are we just sensationalizing all of this? And I think that's the balance that news has all the time with almost anything that happens when you're covering any kind of tragedy. I have a real problem with the way the media covers any of these things, right? This killing of the cops in LA, the guy who shot the the two cops, right? The, The two sheriffs. The way that the media is covering this versus the way that the media covers when cops kill black people. Have a look at the language. Have a look at the anger that they feel because somebody killed a cop versus the anger that they feel that Breonna Taylor's killers are still not brought to justice. Yeah. And I want to tell you about this thing that has really upset me with um, Formula One. Lewis Hamilton, who is the only black Formula One driver, we need to re- I need to make sure I keep saying the only black Formula One driver, won the Tuscan Grand Prix, which was an incredible race. I I texted you. Won the Tuscan Grand Prix and at the end wore a t-shirt that said, arrest the cops that kill Breonna Taylor's killers. Wow. In the back, it said, say her name and had a picture of Breonna Taylor. I was so like proud. Like, that's amazing. Do you know these motherfuckers, and excuse my language, at the FIA in charge of the Formula One are investigating him because they said that his shirt was possibly political. These are the same MFers who apparently are doing a anti-racism campaign with the um, Formula One and everybody gets to wear an end racism t-shirt, but he can't wear a t-shirt that says arrest Breonna Taylor's killers. See, this is what I'm saying. Performative. They don't really care about the message. They just want to seem like they're saying something. He's actually taking it the one step further and then getting in trouble. How about all these football players who are getting booed because they're having a moment of silence and, and embracing arms for racism because people just want them to shut up and play. Right. This is, these are the things that I, I, I'm just, it's so upsetting. And the NFL supposedly is supposed to to be on board with help, you know, with racism and helping out. But what do they do? They do nothing while these guys are being treated like this. It's just, it's so upsetting. The NBA, they have done a lot better. better. They have really, they are setting the bar. And then Naomi Osaka winning the um, US Open, wearing a mask every day with a different person's name who was killed. And like, you know, the media coverage is completely different depending on who do you talk to. She's either being provocative or she's being an amazing ally. There's just, you know, we have to cover this all. We have to cover this differently. Do you think news should just try to be as objective as possible and then own the bias it has? Yes. I just remember, you know, reading, like starting to read the New York Times in sixth grade, like assignments, like read the New York Times and summarize a little article. And I remember thinking that it was really boring (laughs) because it was just like a list of facts and, or, and I'm sure there was bias. I, I I am sure there was bias. Even now I'm a little bit annoyed with the New York times because I find that, that actually that even though I I hate Trump, I, I, he's horrible, but I do find that the New York times is so biased against him that 
every headline is written as if it's an op-ed piece and not just here's what's happening. And I really wish we would take the adjectives and adverbs basically out of news and then just present what's going on. Because then at least you could just get the information out there. What makes me feel that all of this is because all of it's also nuanced. And so like a part of this is understanding, like just report the facts and then report the nuance. Like, so in the idea, like, do we want our sports to be without statements? Then we should not have advertising on them or anything. And then everybody's just required to wear a uniform with nothing. And then that's the standard. But once we open up the standard that you can have something written on it, then you should be able to have anything written on it, including your opinion. And honestly, let's, let's do the human aspect. All of these players, a large majority of these players are black and they have to see this play out in their life all the time. And yes, they're revered and loved when they're on television, but that same black man, when he is out of his uniform, could get arrested by the cops and killed in the street 20 minutes when he leaves the stadium. So they know this, they live their life like through this. And we, and this is the thing that bothers me the most about when it comes to sports is that we don't see them as people. We just see them for their entertainment value. They're people. These are men and women that have to leave the stadium as themselves and then have to worry about their lives. No, now you totally agree. And then that's where they protest. Like, and that's where the protest needs to be. I agree because going out into the streets isn't as effective right now than taking a knee at a basketball game, a baseball game, or a football game, because that's the people whose minds need to change. Those are the people watching and they need to realize that. And you just said that in such a beautiful way, because it is the population that's being killed on the streets. And the fact that we still look, even that there's a conversation still going on and it maddens me where somebody's like, Oh, like they were shot by the police and they're like, well, were they doing anything wrong? Well, it doesn't, oh my God. it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They could be doing everything wrong. You still don't shoot somebody. Like are the you police are not the judge, jury and executioner. That is not their job. Absolutely. So the thing that makes me so mad, and I agree with you, and we need to get the message out, is that I completely agree. Athletes, celebrities, everybody, musicians, like, are you kidding me? Are supermodels? You know, when we think about all the celebrity and then all the risk. And I goes into a store and can't even buy a bag because the woman doesn't know she's Oprah. Yes. And Oprah didn't tell her that she's Oprah. But the fact is, she couldn't buy a bag because of racism. This is Oprah Winfrey, who white people like to bring out all the time as being the, well, no, there's no such thing as racism. We have Oprah couldn't buy a handbag. Thank you very much in a store. So tell me there's no racism. Yeah. I went to Big Bear recently. Yes. And Eric and I like went and we drove by you know, we just rented a cabin for a weekend and driving by the little town, I'm not going to say which town it was. I, we saw outside the restaurant, a big Trump sign and we weren't going to go to any restaurants anyway, because of the pandemic. 
But even seeing that, I actually, what's interesting to me is I was like, well, that just stained my entire weekend because for me, it, and the idea that Big Bear is a pretty white population. And then Mm -hmm. I had this feeling of feeling unsafe and I'm a white girl. So the idea is like, what? And I actually thought of you and I was like, wow, like, you know, somebody else from the LA basin, like a person of color or a black person, like coming up here, like how safe do they feel? And my Mm -hmm. answer would be God, not at all. So then the sense is like, we're the United States of America, but there are still populations that don't feel safe touring in their own country because are, because you're not going to feel safe. And there's, no, there's a new green book. There's a new green book out. All right. Well, I don't even know what it, what is a green book. Oh, okay. So a green book is a book, uh, a travel guide for um, African Americans about where they can stay safely oh my. in different parts of the United States. It started back in God. I'd have to look up. I have to look it up. But it, it started in Jim Crow days. Thank you. But I can't remember the year. And it was a book. And, and there's a movie about it with Viggo Mortensen and um, Marshala Ali called Green Book. But right. it is, well, it's a real thing. It's a real book. So there's okay. a new one that has just come out. Actually, I got an email about it because I, I put myself on the list to buy it. Because I, I have an experience, similar experience, Alex, going to Big Bear. Really? Yeah. Shane and I went to Big Bear last year. And when we were in Big Bear, we went to the supermarket in that main town. And when we went in, I'm trying to remember if we went in together. No, we didn't go in together because we brought, uh, we had the dogs with us. So somebody had to stay in the car with the two dogs. So Shane went in first and then I went in because uh, there were like things that I wanted that he, you know, and things that he wanted. And I it wasn't comfortable for me in the store. I felt like I was being followed. I felt like I was asked obsessive questions. And then when I did need help, nobody was there to help me. It was a very, wow. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm, so I wasn't, I didn't feel good. And Shane, uh, I texted him, I think. And he left the dogs in the car and came in and helped me. And I think I got better service then. And then we left. And we didn't really do much that weekend. We stayed in the little getaway cabin and we hiked around and we drove around a little bit, but I didn't feel like very safe or very comfortable at all. And that wasn't even seeing a Trump sign. That was just people in the area. How you were treated. Yeah. It's, and I'm hoping that this reckoning really starts to change things, but we'll see. The ABC Travel Green Book, I'll put a link to it in the in the show notes, but it's available on Barnes and Nobles and, and Amazon. And it is a book specifically for, and it's a, apparently it's not just the United States. It's also international of good places for black people to go to where they can feel comfortable and safe. It's interesting. Like I do... I have to look at my Lonely Planet because I know that Lonely Planet always has a section like on solo women travelers. And then it will also say like LBGTQ travelers, like what's safe for you. And I wonder if they don't, they don't have something for, wow. No, 
I know this. For well, Lonely <laughs> Planet, make that goddamn change because that's friggin' racist in of itself. Yeah, but I'm, yeah. Well. <laughs> I, know, I know, but you start, but that's what I mean. Like, so part of what we're talking about now is wine. You only need to pull a thread and you start to see how it's everywhere if you look and you know, when we talked about microaggressions, I've really been thinking, I was like, life is a microaggression. Yeah. You know, like in, in that sense that it, it's, it has to be exhausting. Is the, how, are the fires worse by you than they are by me? Well, I'm closer. I'm yeah, closer. You're so yeah, I'm closer to the Bobcat fire than you are. So I think we probably have, it depends on on the wind, how the wind is blowing, but it's been today. We actually have, we don't have blue skies at all, but there's, you can see that the sun is shining through the smoke where the last week or yeah. has been just, you would think it was fog, but it was just smoke. Last night's sunset, the sun just looked like a big orange fireball in the middle of the sky. It, and it was apocalyptic really yeah well those pictures of san francisco were insane and how's um, like how's the press conference with donald trump and, and they're like the science and he goes ah yeah well i don't think the science knows i know and then the best bit is uh gavin newsom going oh you know 53 percent of the land that's burning is federal land <laughs> so you get out trump and you get out there with your rake yeah. But again, we're talking to to our base, not his base. So, I don't know. Well, what would his I base I would is getting I, smaller. That's what I'm hoping that his base is just like he has it, but it just gets smaller by the day as they die, as their kids get sick, as they realize that their family members that were soldiers are being, you know, defamed as, you know, they realize that they still don't have a job as they realize that all these companies are taking their things offshore because of his really ridiculous trade deals. As all of these little pieces fall into place, I feel like maybe we're there. He loses one or two people. A day. I would hope so. My sense is if you'd look at the political map of California, the Central Valley is red, not blue. It's really yeah. the coast that's blue. And so my sense is with all these fires, there has to be some sort of rethinking about climate change mm-hmm. and understanding that you have a president who denies it. So I, I agree. I hope something changes. But less than two months till election day. I know. We should take a quick break and tell our listeners to please like and subscribe to the podcast. Please give us a rating. Five stars would be much appreciated if you love us. And please share with your friends if you like our podcast and definitely talk to us. We have a Facebook group, Women Bridging the Gap. We're going to start an Instagram and a Twitter, and we have a website, womenbridgingthegap.com. You can email us, and we want to hear from everyone. All right. See you later, Lenya. Bye, Alex. Bye. Find us at womenbridgingthegap.com, and check out our show notes below for other ways to talk with us. 